This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Friends. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. Tonight we reach the fourth paramita, that of wisdom. This is prajna. So we all know this word. This is the one paramita that everybody knows. Because we talk about the prajna paramita when we talk about the great heart of wisdom sutra. And then later we say, maha prajna paramita. So we say this over and over again. It sounds really big. There's an interesting development that happened in in Buddhism, in that in the beginning, and by in the beginning I mean from the Buddha for about the first 500 years, wisdom was not so complicated. But then with the, the advent of the Mahayana tradition and the scale that that brought to everything, because what Mahayana does is it, it, it takes your practice and it, it speaks of it in cosmic terms. And we have this idea of a bodhisattva, and the bodhisattva is saving all beings. And so suddenly everything is really big. Everything is big. And what happens in that transition is that wisdom also becomes really big. And it's coupled with compassion, so the compassion is really big. And suddenly we don't really understand it anymore. So that if, if I say, well, you know, my, my, uh, my grandmother, she's very lovely and she's very wise. Everyone says, oh, I can imagine that. I know what that is. But then I say, well, I met the Dalai Lama, and I think he's very wise. And we think, yeah, I don't know what that is. But that's something different in our imagination. There's a wisdom that we're speaking of when we're talking about this this cosmic wisdom that seems way beyond a normal understanding. From where we are, we can't guess at what that might be. So there's almost this, like this fetishization of wisdom in the Mahayana tradition. It's the thing we really, really, really want, and we have no idea what we would do with it if we had it, because we aren't sure what it looks like. So today I want to talk about that. I think wisdom isn't such a big deal. And, and as long as we imagine it to be a big deal, we might miss it. Wisdom, in many teachings over the centuries, has been described simply as the understanding of impermanence. And then going back further, more traditionally, wisdom is the view that recognizes the three seals. The three seals being that everyone experiences dukkha as a basic part of their human existence. Again, that all things are impermanent. And three, that nothing has an inherent independent existence. Wisdom is the view that sees these things as true. Not intellectually. I think there's a good chance that everyone in this room intellectually understands them as true, or at least believes them, or at least thinks that they're such a great working premise 
that we're not really going to question them for now. That's a good start, but that's not quite the same thing as knowing them. What I find so wonderful about this is that these three seals, who are, which, you know, are kind of a big deal and are kind of philosophical heavy lifting, are precisely the things that people naturally come to realize as they get older or as they experience trauma in their lives. It's not mystical. It's practical. And so, though we are not guaranteed wisdom as we grow old, statistically, we have a pretty good chance of gaining a little bit because it just is a natural extension of having seen a lot of things. When you're 20 years old, you don't need to believe that everything is impermanent. You haven't tested that at all. But a few years later, you start thinking, oh, maybe. Because so far, nothing has stood up to that. At some point in your life, I think if you're paying attention, you start to see this experiment is going in one very clear direction. Right? I've been doing this experiment for 70 years, for 80 years, for 90 years, and my results are always the same. And at that point, it stops being speculation and it starts to be an observation on the world. Hmm. Things don't last. If we pay attention, like I said last week, if we're just really honest with ourselves, then we start to notice the way that our minds work. And the way that our minds work is that we grasp onto things. And that grasping causes us dissatisfaction. It creates a sense of gap between ourselves and our experience, between ourselves and the world that we see around us. If we're honest with ourselves and we see that happening, we start to notice not only that this must be a pretty basic part of my life, but more importantly, we start to think, probably everybody's doing this. That's what wisdom looks like in relationship to dukkha. And the same goes for the lack of an independent existence. We start to see relationships. And when we start to look at relationships deeply, we notice that those relationships are complicated. Complicated beyond our ability to grasp. Really. If we start trying to understand origins of things, if we start trying to understand the building blocks of things, we see that it is infinite in its complication. Anything you name. What this looks like as ordinary wisdom, the wisdom that that I might see in my grandmother, does not come with a halo, and it doesn't come with a robe, and it doesn't come with some sort of grand pronouncements about the inherent suffering of all beings, because it probably, probably in that circumstance, is never 
clearly formulated. One of the wonderful things about Buddhism or the story of the Buddha is this clear articulation of these things that otherwise are kind of intuitive in our lives. It helps. But when we see someone who has just experienced a full life and seems to have some sense of perspective on that life, and we really investigate what it is that that person is seeing, what we find is that we're seeing in these ingredients. We're seeing an understanding of impermanence and dukkha and, and the existence of things. Right? Whether, whether that person is conceiving of it in that way or not. That's all it is. And then it's a spectrum. Our problem, I think, when, when we come to this tradition, and I'm obviously including myself here, is that we encounter this big capital W wisdom, and we imagine that it's a, a, a switch and not a dial. Right? I'm here, and something might happen, and then I'll be there, and from there, I'll know what the heck wisdom is, because it will be radically different from here. But the fact is that, that if we're understanding wisdom as it has traditionally been understood, which is this view, you already have it. You're already experiencing it. You're already tasting it. It's just that you're in one, at one place on that spectrum, right? There's a degree to which it's integrated, and there's a degree to which it's still speculative, there's a degree to which there's still a doubt. And the way in this tradition that we eradicate doubt is by embracing doubt. We investigate it. We take these up as, as basic questions in our lives. And we ask, we don't just let it we don't, we don't just settle for osmosis. We don't settle just for time. We stare at this and we say, is this true every time? Is there ever an exception to this? And we force ourselves to ask that question so that hopefully we move along that spectrum a little bit more quickly than we would otherwise. Because the more quickly we can start to see things as they are, the more quickly we can start to move in the world in a way that expresses that for whatever that means for other people. There's another way of talking about wisdom. I, I think that this is a very Mahayana view of, of wisdom. And this is the one I think that trips us up is we get really excited about non-duality, right? Woo. Non-duality is so cool. And, and because it sounds so exciting and because it's so incredibly hard to wrap our heads around, then we imagine that, well, well, what wisdom is. Wisdom is the view of non-duality. But there's no such thing as a view of non-duality because that's dual. If you're looking at non-duality and you're saying, hmm, yeah, yeah. That's non-duality, all right. I'm sorry. Wisdom can't be. Wisdom and, and, and the experience of something are not quite exactly the same. 
Wisdom is a view. It's not that we don't experience non-duality. But if we imagine that there's this lens, this, this telescope or this microscope that we can hold up to our eye, and then we see everything as being somehow radically different and the same. <laughs> if we're waiting for that, we're going to be very, very, very disappointed. And if we're insisting on that, if that is the metric of our practice, we're shooting ourselves in the foot because we're missing what's happening right now. We're missing it because we're holding off and we're saying, no, 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 no. I'm waiting. <laughs> right. It's like, if you're old enough, you know what it was like to have bunny ears on your television, right? The antenna and you'd move them around and you'd tweak them. And, and before, you know, if there was a rainstorm or something, someone would have to get up and and move the antenna around until you got good reception. We can spend our whole lives standing over the television, tweaking those antenna, thinking it's almost there. It's coming in. It's coming in. I'm going to get non-dualism. I'm going to get non-dualism on the screen any minute. Nope, just, nope, just, and then you die. Because you spent your whole life there. I wanted to, to, I wanted to quote about wisdom <laughs> because it's pretty good. So we're reading the Heart Sutra and we do this every night. Right? And it says, with nothing to attain, a bodhisattva relies on prajna paramita and thus the mind is without hindrance. Without hindrance, there is no fear. And we read that, and then we scroll back up to all the stuff we just read about non-dualism and about no object of mind and blah, blah, blah. And we think, that's what, that's what it is. That's what wisdom is. No. What's happening before that is a description of the way the world is. Right? A bodhisattva doesn't rely on the way the world is. The bodhisattva relies on something that is cultivated, that is attained, that is, is portable. Right? That's a view. That view is wisdom. If you understand the nature of suffering in yourself and in others, then there is no gap in your experience of others. If you understand the nature of impermanence, then there is no clinging to an idea of how things might remain. And if you have a clear view of the complicated nature of all existence, <laughs> then you're free, not just from an idea of who you are, but of where you think you are in the world and where other people are in the world and what is possible in the world, which is to say, if you have a clear view of those three things, you are without hindrance. And if you are without hindrance, 
You can do anything. You can't fly. I don't mean that. Right. But there is no reason to hesitate. There is no reason to stutter in your expression. Because you see clearly what is right there. And if you see that, if there is no hesitation, if there is no hindrance, if there is no gap, then there is no fear. It's like having the lights on. It's not some sort of bold thing where music is playing, and that's why you have no fear. You see, you've turned on the light, and you see where the the you see where your slippers are, and you won't trip on them. And you see that there are no monsters in the closet. You can find your way down the hall, so there is no fear. It's just simply seeing where things are and how they line up. And it's not magical, and it's not mystical. And it's certainly not unattainable. You're attaining it all the time. You're soaking it up all the time. This is your natural trajectory. Mm -hmm. What we can do is we can embrace it. I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.